The Devil's Advocates Radio Show is broadcast under a time brokerage agreement between Devil Radio and Civic Media Inc. Some portions of this program may be pre-recorded. Warning! You are about to listen to the greatest radio show ever, and due to contractual obligations and to shield our airwaves and corporate licensees from any semblance of liability, responsibility, and gullibility, we must tell you the views represented on this show are not necessarily those of this station or its management. This radio show contains differing points of view on current political topics, and due to the nature of its contents, it should be heard by everyone. Thank you for listening. Now live from the Civic Media Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, where the political party is just beginning, welcome to the Devil's Advocates Radio Show. Friends proving it's never personal, only politics. Please allow me to introduce myself. And now, here's your hosts, Dom and Crute. Welcome back to the Devil's Advocates Radio Show, a big loser Wednesday edition. Happier, happier, but... No losers here, only winners when you listen to us. And our fine guest, guys like James Santel, who joins us right now in the seat I normally sit in, in the WDX 92.7 FM studios in Madison. Jim, welcome to the Devil's Advocates, man. What a How delight it is to be with you once again. And yes, you leave for a little while, and I take over the property. That's what happens. <laughs> hey, Jim, thanks for joining us. Good to us, be man. with you. Just don't think you're a squatter, Jim. <laughs> I'm never leaving. real estate back next week. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I would like to mention, I am here in Las Vegas. Nevada primary happened yesterday, Jim. And uh, tomorrow, a caucus, something of a rigged affair they're having in Nevada, but Tomorrow, the U.S. Supreme Court to hear whether or not Trump should be on the ballot, specifically in the state of Colorado, where a lower court ruled he was an insurrectionist and he was removed from the ballot, or at least that was the initial ruling. But so many different people want to know, is Trump, isn't Trump going to be on the ballot? Should he be on the ballot? This has got to be a national issue, not just a Colorado state issue, wouldn't you think, Jim? Let's start with the SCOTUS, the Oral arguments they're supposed to hear tomorrow. What should the people know, Jim? Absolutely. So it is tomorrow morning. It's a big case. It's one of them out, about 60 or so on the docket of the Supreme Court, probably among the top 10 or so. And as you said so accurately, comes out of Colorado, the Supreme Court there, saying a number of weeks ago that not only did Donald Trump engage in an insurrection, but he's also subject to not being on the ballot by virtue of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that says if you're an insurrectionist, having previously taken an oath of office, you can't be on a ballot like that. And so that's the lower court ruling that is now before the Supreme Court. Lots and lots of things to be heard tomorrow. We've talked about this before. An awful lot of people, including me, believe that the Supreme Court will overturn the Colorado decision, put him back in the ballot. They've got so many different off-ramps, so to speak, to do it. And my sense is that they probably will give him this win in a time when he's otherwise going to be facing a lot of losing opinions coming up in the Supreme Court. But, Jim, my understanding is the Colorado Supreme Court used the ruling of Judge Neil Gorsuch mm -hmm. to justify blocking Trump from the ballot. The the supposed originalists that, that are the conservative block of this court, including Gorsuch, doesn't some of their prior rulings and some of their prior opinions Jim, if they're, you know, sort of intellectually honest, and this is very important in this case, 
they'd be reversing themselves, would they not, sir? Right. So this is when Neil Gorsuch is on the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. He talks about states' rights and says, you know what? States should have the prerogative to make decisions about who's on the ballot and who isn't. And so you better anticipate that tomorrow those lawyers are going to say, Judge Gorsuch, at some point in your not-too-distant past, you basically said that Colorado can, in fact, remove people from a ballot. Don't go back in the opposite direction. That's one of many arguments, obviously, that's going to be made tomorrow. Lots and lots of things to be presented to the the justices, including, once again, as you indicated in a previous uh, broadcast, we talked a lot about the fact that this came from a trial court initially. There was a trial on whether or not there was an insurrection, whether Donald Trump was involved. The trial court judge finds an insurrection. Curiously, she finds that Donald Trump is not subject as an official of the government to be removed. That is overturned by the Colorado Supreme Court. They go in for the entire entire argument here. That's one of the things that the Supreme Court can take a look at. My sense is, once again, among the various things you're going to hear, this is not insurrection, maybe not covered as an official act. There might be some due process arguments to be made. There's this other question about whether or not the 14th Amendment is self-effectuating, self-enforcing. Do you need a conviction? Do you need a prior criminal conviction to be removed? Uh, What about a legislative act? Is the legislature, are they the only ones who can do this? All kinds of things that the Supreme Court can embrace and talk about tomorrow. My prediction, again, prove me wrong. I very well could be wrong about this, but they probably will embrace something called the political question doctrine. They've done this before when it comes to partisan gerrymandering. So you know what? As a federal court, we shouldn't be involved, perhaps very much pursuant to what Judge Gorsuch said when he was on the 10th Circuit. This is a matter for the states. Federal government should not be involved in a political matter. Federal courts shouldn't be involved in political matters, and therefore we're just going to punt. We're not going to decide this. We're going to let the lower court um, uh, stand. That's a possibility, too, going in the opposite direction. But, Jim, that would create a patchwork of of differing uh, eligibility because differing states have differing interpretations of whether or not Trump, A, is an insurrectionist, or B, should be ineligible because of the 14th Amendment, Section 3 is referenced. But, Jim, this, this cannot be just a... Colorado, you figure it out because everyone's trying to figure it out through their own state's prisms. That's exactly right. And we know already that Maine, the state of Maine is out there. Remember the Secretary of State? She was the one who also tossed Donald Trump off the ballot. A high court there in that state said, you know what? We're not overturning the Secretary of State's decision, but what we're going to do is going to wait to see what the Supreme Court does on Colorado, and then we're going to come back and revisit this. If indeed, if indeed the Supreme Court does permit the Colorado position to stand, and he is thrown off the ballot. Then you've got Maine. You've got many other, I think by my count, some around 30 states, various stages of reviewing this, and you could have that patchwork. That may also that may also be argued tomorrow morning, and that may also be a very compelling argument for justices on all sides of the political aisle to say, you know what, we want to have some consistency in national elections, even though they're conducted by states and state clerks and county clerks and local clerks around the country. That could also be a very attractive sort of non-legal response to this. We simply have to have consistency across the board. We don't want to have this patchwork out there. And for that reason, we are going to overturn Colorado, say he's got to be on the ballot. We've got then a, a straightforward vote across the nation. Every single state has Donald Trump's name on its ballot. That could, they could do too. Lots of, lots of options here for them. And it'll be fascinating to listen to all the justices arguing about this, perhaps among themselves, also questioning plainly the attorneys for both sides tomorrow morning.
Folks, you're listening to the Devil's Advocates radio show. That is James Santel. He's a former U.S. attorney and a host here at Civic Media. You can catch his show 9 to 11 on Saturdays. Jim, always always a pleasure to talk to you, man. Absolutely. Um, Good to be with you. The the, the D.C. appellate court, this one came yes. out. The absolute immunity yes. denied 57-page uh, beatdown uh, of everything that the Trump attorneys threw against the wall uh, was rejected. Um what what's your sense on where this goes now? They put a deadline on for him right. for Donald Trump and his legal team to you know appeal to the Supreme Court by by Monday. Monday. Jim, it seems pretty quick. Uh, what's your sense of the the quality of the ruling and how do you think the timing will go on this? The quality the quality is great. And again, it's sad as we've talked before only that it took a month, a whopping month right. to uh, get this. But position out there, plainly they could have done something simpler. They plainly wanted to write something that's going to stand the test of time, not only immediately if this thing does end up in the Supreme Court, which it should not, but also for history, right? They're, they're writing as a part of our American history, and we'll be talking about this for decades, if not generations to come. And so some great language in there. Former President Trump lacked any lawful discretionary authority to defy criminal law, and he is answerable in court for his conduct. All sorts of phrases like that. But again, presidents are not kings, those kinds of things. We cannot accept Trump's claim that the president has unbounded authority to commit crimes that would neutralize the most fundamental check on executive power, the recognition and implementation of election results. Some great, great language there. My understanding, he most bothered Trump, defend on Trump most bothered by them calling him Citizen Trump. Yes, right, right. He's, he is now a citizen, subject to, he can make all the defenses, offer all the defenses he wants to, just like anybody else as a defendant in a federal criminal trial, which is exactly where he is. And that language, again, it's unequivocal. All three of the, the judges came forth and said, nope, nothing here to see, and also discouraged in what's called in this en banc review by virtue of setting this very quick deadline to get to the Supreme Court. They're saying, you know what, we're not going to be calling all of our colleagues in to review this. This is not a close question. Indeed, they're right about that. This is not a close question, and it is uh, upsetting, frankly, in the history that we are still spending time discussing this. And that's the reason why a truly integrity-filled Supreme Court, if we have that, we'll see, should look at this and say, you know what, this lower court opinion is compelling. We're going to deny Sir Sherrera, which basically says Donald Trump, thank you very much for your submission. We're not going to hear this case. The D.C. Circuit holds, and then this goes back to Tanya Chutkin for her trial. Yeah, but Jim, what if they say, but we're the high court of the land. We yep. should have the final say on this and want to take it up for posterity's sake. Let's say they're of the highest principles, but it will also create a delay, Jim. Absolutely. And they can effectively create immunity for this man, this this sort of timed immunity by not taking this up or by taking it up and not ruling on it in a timely fashion, Jim, they could in essence, create the immunity right. and still rule against the immunity. Could Absolutely, they not? right. They could issue an opinion in uh, September or whenever they wanted, presumably by June or so, but even there, going to be too late before the election. And you're absolutely right. Let us suppose they put this on the regular docket. You'd like to think that what they do, if they decide to take this case, you'd like to think that what they would do is say, okay, we're going to expedite this. We, not, we want briefs in 10 days. We want a response in five days. We're going to have oral argument five days after that. They can do that if they want to. That would be a sign.
find maybe, maybe that they're interested in getting this expedited. The real horror show here would be if they put this on the regular docket and say, okay, file your brief on March 1, file response on April 1, we'll entertain the oral argument in May, we'll issue a decision in June. Then they have done exactly, Mike, what you just described, which is grant him really procedural immunity by virtue of what they're doing in time. But if they issue the decision in June, and presumably they don't need an off-ramp, Jim, if they right. don't take the case, That's right? right. But Absolutely. even if they issue the decision in June and say, yeah, um, okay, now Chuck can go forward. I mean, that can still get done before the election, could it, it not? Maybe, maybe so. Pretty, pretty close. She needs a couple months to try this case. She needs to find the time to do that. Um, it be, every, every passing day becomes less likely that Tanya Chutkin can get this done, get a conviction by a jury by the time that November rolls around. You know, I'm going to ask you to make some prognostications. I'm in a gambling city right here in Las Vegas, Nevada. we got a fine guest. He is James Santel. Jim, I'm going to put you to the test. Let's I'm do it. I'm the other side, counselor. <laughs> i got to know what to bet down at the MGM Grand later. More Devil's Advocates, a special edition for the Love of Democracy Tour 2024. Thank you to our fine sponsor, Chance Design Build. More come on the other side. The Devil's Advocates, because freedom. Thank you for listening to the Devil's Advocates radio show. James Santel, former U.S. attorney, friend of ours, host at here on Civic Media Network, Saturdays, 9 to 11. Jim, thanks for sticking around. Uh, just to kind of recap here quickly, uh, uh, Supreme Court of the United States hearing oral arguments tomorrow on whether or not Donald Trump can be eligible to be on the ballot. Uh, the D.C. Uh, appeals court uh, this week turned Donald Trump away. You do not have absolute immunity. Uh, and, you know, obviously there's some delays and, and lots of things in the air regarding the calendar. But what's still on the calendar, Jim, is March 25th. Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan yes. DA case, the Stormy Daniels, the election interference case, that thing. Uh, do you think that's going to be the first one out of the gates? I think it's increasingly likely, right, as we as we are gathering here and talking about all this in uh, in early February as, as we are, are doing here. Um, and, and so what can happen is, of course, Alvin Bragg, this is being presided over uh, by a judge there in the Manhattan Criminal Court. His name is Juan Merchant. And both Alvin Bragg and the judge there have said, you know, if these other federal trials, you federal folks, if you can't get your act together, uh, we'll slip in here and we'll get this tried. Bragg has said, I'll do it. The judge has said he's got a, a scheduling conference coming up very soon here as well. He's going to talk to the attorneys about that. I think it's entirely possible that in the history of our nation here in the next few weeks, that could be the first trial to go to trial, the criminal trial, that is. Also the first one indicted about a year or so ago. Um, not a small trial, but not the scope of the trial, the insurrection trial or the, the Mar-a-Lago case, those kinds of things. Certainly not the, the Georgia trial, which is very huge in its scope. The Alvin Bragg trial in Manhattan could, in fact, go, and it sounds like Alvin Bragg is ready to get his witnesses on the stand. You have to do some jury selection there as well. Uh, this is not a small trial, but it's not the kind of thing that, that Tanya Chutkin has got before her, where you've got probably weeks and weeks of litigation before her. Uh, Jim, assuming Donald Trump is found guilty in this Manhattan DA trial, uh What's the worst that could happen to him? Sure. So he gets convicted jail. by jail. Go right, directly to jail. By, right, right. And so what happens is he'll get a pretrial report written. At some point, again, this calendar, that will happen. 
That will happen sometime after. Let's assume that there's a conviction, say, in, in March or even April or so. Then you'll get a sentencing long before November. It's not going to take all that, that much time after a conviction. And you'll have this judge entering a conviction, presumably um, based upon what he has seen, not only the, the New York guidelines, but also the evidence in this case, could in fact sentence Donald Trump to a term of imprisonment and maybe impose some fines as well. That will then certainly be taken up on appeal where? To the New York Court of Appeals, and that will still be pending while the election is going on here in November. But a significant event, if indeed, for the first time in our history, a president, a former president, is convicted of a crime, admittedly post-presidency, that's unprecedented. And as the polls say, maybe your next guest will talk more about this, that could have an impact upon people going to the polls and deciding whether or not Donald Trump should be their next president, having suffered even one criminal conviction in state court, in the criminal court in New York. Folks, you're listening to The Devil's Advocates Radio Show. That fine former U.S. attorney and soon-to-be polished broadcaster. Did you hear him, <laughs> did you hear him teasing our soon-to-be-fine guest, Charles Franklin? Marquette University Law School polling joins us next. Uh, Jim couple of practical questions will the new york trial of donald trump assuming it goes first do you know if it'll be televised and if so could we play it on the radio right i i, I don't i haven't looked again at the rules there we've seen an awful lot of sketches coming out of previous proceedings which suggest to me that the judge has not uh, permitted cameras in that courtroom up to this point uh, but we'll see about that and remember also the other thing that's going on in new york and anticipate this sometime soon again not a criminal case we're still waiting uh for uh judge arthur engeron to issue his what i think is going to be a 350 million dollar civil judgment that could come out also sometime very soon he promised it in early february all of these things happening uh, right in the midst of the campaign going on. Uh, we'll see how all these judges uh, handle these various civil and criminal cases. Now, Ingeron had promised us a ruling earlier he than did. this, Jim, and somehow, apparently, the perjury, a new prosecution of one of the witnesses at trial, uh, one of Trump's witnesses, apparently lied on the stand, and we're talking about the former CFO, Alan Weisselberg, right. I believe his name, and yep. Ingeron apparently wants to know what was said uh, what crime was committed, uh, but this could get really, really disastrous for Trump. I mean, this could affect negative inference. Hell, it goes far worse than that. If there's perjury, uh, I won't I won't throw the Latin at you, counselor, but my understanding is everything that Weisselberg said could suddenly be thrown out, negative inference, and Trump could be looking at a massive uh disengorgement i thought the term was right right exactly lots of things could make this even messier than it already is and it is messy <laughs> undeniably you've got this possibility being floated out there certainly the prosecutor looking at this when you take the stand you take this oath of of, of uh, commitment to tell the truth right and it's got to be something as we talked before perjury is a tough thing to show but it appears at least as with respect to, to weisselberg that he may have made some very clear statements about some of his understanding of the financial books there. And if you can show that at the time, not only is that wrong, but he knew, he knew in making those statements that those things were wrong, that could support a perjury prosecution. Again, not an easy thing to do. The judge looking at this, of course, because he is also concerned about his own judgment and his own 
uh, entry of an order here, uh, that could impact that as well. If indeed there is something and some reason to believe that even, even Donald Trump's witnesses are not credible, that can go into the factoring that the judge will be making here when it comes to entering this huge, presumably huge judgment coming up soon. Absolutely. Jim, speaking of messy, uh, the the Fulton County case, uh, yes. you know, the prosecutor uh, sleeping with the investigator, whatever. I mean, all this thing came out. Now, Fonnie Willis, that they, they they put their their document in front of the judge very long and, and telling the judge there that, you know, this was not a relationship that they had prior to, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, where, where does this one stand? How do you think this is going to play out? Sure. So the judge has scheduled a, a hearing on this, which, again, I think is somewhat interesting for reasons that uh, go back to my own sense of what judges can and cannot do. I regard this, as we've talked before, not an unimportant issue in the public domain. I understand that completely. But it doesn't affect, it cannot affect the legitimacy of the grand jury indictment against Donald Trump, this RICO indictment there. All of this, I don't want to say it's inside baseball. It has to do with personnel issues inside the DA's office. Whether or she or, or, or other prosecutors have relationships or not, that doesn't impact the thing that's pending right now before the judge. He may take a look at this. My guess is he will say, thank you very much for bringing all this to my attention. I find that I have no jurisdiction over the personnel issues inside the DA's office. Take care of those. Attend to those. But it's not going to affect the prosecution here. And I think that's the big takeaway even so, it's one of these things that, once again, the nation is looking at. Donald Trump's at least one of the attorneys there on behalf of one of the defendants of advocating for this as a reason to dismiss the case. There's really no connection between the two of them, as serious as this might be for, for an internal issue having to do with the DA's office there. Jim, I'm here in Vegas. I'm looking for some bets. If you had a bet, will the U.S. Supreme Court give us an off-ramp from Trump? Um, they they will find one of them and they will basically permit uh, or, or uh, permit him to be on the ballot. Yes, in Colorado, that's my prediction. Yes. Damn it! Well, <laughs> fine <laughs> appearance anyway. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. You're right, harsh one, in my one, buzz one here. You're in Vegas, man. One more, Jim. Will yes. the U.S. Supreme Court take up the D.C. Uh, Court of Appeals immunity issue? I believe in the integrity of the Supreme Court. I'm going to say no, but that's one that I'm not going to bet more than lunch on because they could do anything here. I'd like to think my Supreme Court, in, in charge of the judiciary here, is not going to embrace that notion. Let this wonderful order stand and send this back for trial. Thank you, James Intel. Tune in Saturday mornings for his fine show. Stick around. Charles Franklin, our next fine guest. Marquette Poland. Warning, listening to the devil's advocates may expose you to opposing views. Welcome back to the Devil's Advocates Radio Show, a Wednesday edition, a happier happy hour. Thank you to our most recent guest, James Santel, fine former U.S. attorney, friend of ours. And now we're joined by another good friend. He is pollster extraordinaire, Charles Franklin. Marquette University Law School poll. Charles, I love when you come around with the new polling. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate, sir. Hey, Charles. Good new election year. Lots of polling still to come, but looking forward to talking about this one today. You know, at some point in the future, we're going to have to have you poll. Greatest radio show ever. But <laughs> I mean, it's obvious. In, Why in the means even ask. <laughs> in, the, in the meantime, we'll talk about the mundane <laughs> politics. Uh, top line here, the presidential race. I'm here in Las Vegas, in Nevada, uh, because there was a quote-unquote presidential primary. There's something of a rigged caucus tomorrow night. 
But you have taken a snapshot of the of the Wisconsin voters. What do they think? Trump v. Biden. Where do we stand? 49-49 with registered voters. 50 for Trump, 49 for Biden with likely voters. Uh, when we add in third-party votes, it stretches to a three-point Trump lead. With the third parties taking a lot of the vote, 16% for Kennedy, uh, four for Stein, and a couple for West. Those numbers will surely change over the course of the campaign, but I think it reflects the broad dissatisfaction with both Trump and Biden as the matchup. And so people unhappy with that are expressing it by saying at this point they'd vote third party. Well, Charles, let's talk about Nikki Haley. Uh, I'm here in Las Vegas in Nevada. Nikki Haley finished a distant second to none of these candidates in a primary where Donald Trump wasn't on the ballot. How did she poll uh, with Wisconsinites on the current Marquette University poll? Well, not a whole lot better. In fact, a little worse. She got 22% against Trump's 64% here for the primary matchup. Sure. But with about 15% undecided. Now, that's double what Haley got in November, so she has come up. But Trump has shot up from 38 in November to 64 now. So the consolidation in the party has gone on. It's just Trump has consolidated the support. Haley's consolidated the people in the Republican Party that don't like Donald Trump. She's getting 77% of the vote from people that don't like Trump in the party, but it just ain't big enough. Charles, um, enthusiasm. Again, we're, well, I guess we're not a year out anymore. We're, what, about nine months out from the general election. But currently, there seems to be a real enthusiasm gap between those that say they support Donald Trump, they seem quite enthusiastic, and those that say, yeah. I'm going to vote for Joe Biden, you know, eh, probably. There, yeah. There's a gap, is there not, sir? There's, there's a huge gap there. With those pe- voters who say they're very enthusiastic about voting, Trump has a huge lead over Biden. But for those that are somewhat enthusiastic, not very enthusiastic, not at all enthusiastic, Biden has a big lead with each of those three groups. So you really do see the sense that Trump supporters are really behind him. Biden supporters, yeah, I've got some reservations. I'm not that thrilled with the election. But despite those lack of enthusiasm, they're very heavily pro-Biden. So the question is going to be, as always, can you get those less enthusiastic voters to turn out? Biden's got to have them despite their reservations or lack of enthusiasm. If this just were to come down to the folks most fired up right now, it'd be Trump in a walk. Um, But the less enthusiastic folks like Biden quite a bit. They're just not thrilled with him. So folks, you're listening to the Devil's Advocates radio show. Charles Franklin, director of the Marquette University Law School poll. Charles, always a pleasure. Uh, I, I noticed in, in your, your poll here, the reluctant voters. Uh, what does that mean and, and what does it tell us? It, it means for us, people who, when we initially ask, who do you want to vote for for president, say, uh, none of the above, I might not vote, you know, maybe I'd vote third party. Um, that's about 12% in this sample, which isn't huge, but on the other hand, it shows you that if the race is tied, but really 12% are kind of up for grabs. 
that could move things around. Now, those initially undecided in this month's poll are splitting kind of evenly when we push them and say, if you had to choose, who would you pick? Um, so there's not a lot of, um, you know, lopsidedness among the undecideds. They're kind of evenly split. Uh, the other thing is 18% say they have an unfavorable view of both Biden and of Trump. And so we want to watch that number over the course of the year and see if people ultimately decide they actually do like one of these people. Uh, or if that doesn't happen, what happens to the votes of those people that dislike both? That's a recipe for these third party candidates to potentially do better than normal. In Wisconsin, uh, in 2020, we had less than 3% vote third party. But in 2016, it was uh, almost 6% that voted third party. And of course, a very close race that Trump won. So I do think there's a question of how strong the third party vote can be this time. Given the unhappiness with the two leading contenders, you'd think it'd be pretty big. Uh, Charles, the economy, always a, a big topic during election time, the national economy, the Wisconsin economy, uh, jobs reports from last month revised up 100,000. Currently, we're at looking at what, 350,000. Inflation seems to be down. I, I think you know, some folks are feeling like it's getting better, the numbers, but it's not it's not really resonating, perhaps, down to the voters yet. What did you find on the national and Wisconsin level? Well, for the first time in a while, we actually saw views of the economy pick up by about 10 points better mm -hmm. this month than it was in November. That matches the national polling that has shown increases, and in one closely watched measure of the economy, they had their biggest uptick since the 1990s in their December wow. poll. Now, here's the fly in the ointment. It is steadily up since say, 18 months ago in June of 2022, but it's still well below where it was in late 2019 before the pandemic. And so while it's moving in the right direction, public opinion about the economy remains well below where it was. Now, you cite the economic statistics, and we are seeing that begin to filter through to people. Also in Wisconsin, views of the Wisconsin economy are quite a bit better than views of the national economy. Um, uh, about half as many say Wisconsin is doing poorly compared to the national. And even among Republicans who are quite negative about the national economy, they're negative, but they're half as negative in Wisconsin's economy. So... Here at home, things look better than when we cast our gaze on the country as a whole. Well, the economy might be the economy stupid, as James Carville once said, but the age of the incumbent is certainly an issue. And I don't like doing math on the radio, but up to 83% of voters expressed some concern with Joe Biden's age. They didn't have the same concern, at least not to the same percentages, about Donald Trump's age, and they're nearly the same age, but please tell us what the electorate thought. Four years of age doesn't seem like it should be that big a difference. Um, I tend to focus on the ones that say is too old to be president, describes Biden very well. That's up to 65% in this poll. That's up from 55% before. It's an enduring issue, and he's not going to get any younger. <laughs> the only way to make that issue go away is to prove that you can campaign vigorously and effectively and to get voters to quit thinking about that personal characteristic 
And look at Donald Trump's personal characteristic, where 49% say he's behaved corruptly, 53% say he committed a crime or did illegal things between the election and January 6th. So I really think the picture here is Biden has this big weakness on his age. Trump has a big weakness on the corruption side. And the area that I'm looking for the poll for the campaign to matter and change these poll numbers is uh, only 17 or 18 percent say Biden has a strong record of accomplishment as president. 35 percent say Trump had a strong record of accomplishment. That's the kind of numbers that you would think the campaign will work really hard to change. And then we'll see whether that's effective or not over the coming nine months. Well, perception obviously becomes reality, at least in the polling numbers. Charles Franklin, our fine guest, Marquette University Law School poll. It's fresh off the presses today. And I've got to ask about my favorite senator from the state of Wisconsin, Tammy Baldwin. She's on the ballot in 2024. It's her turn. And the Republicans, I'm not sure who they've got. I've heard Eric Hudvey. I've heard this other uh, Scott Mayer, I think, businessman. And I've heard Dom's buddy, David A. Clark Jr. might jump into the race. What do you, what does your polling tell us about this, this, this fine matchup to be? Mostly we were waiting for there actually to be a Republican candidate before we asked about a horse race between the two. But what we did ask was those three Republican maybe candidates and Tammy Baldwin on a favorable, unfavorable rating. Baldwin's just slightly underwater on that, four points more unfavorable than favorable. But Hovde and Scott Mayer in particular are over 80% who say they don't know who these people are. It's a little lower, but still 65% for David Clark. This is just why I don't try to poll until somebody's a declared candidate and running, because this is not unusual. These very high don't knows are true of almost every non-incumbent candidate when they first get in a race. But until they get in we really and start campaigning and introducing themselves to voters, we really can't learn very much about how they're going to perform over the summer and fall. Charles, They've certainly you, got to introduce themselves. That's clear. Although you didn't give me a preview of the numbers, you did give me a small insight. You told me after a couple of years you guys were polling on the question of legalizing marijuana, Dom's favorite question, he asked of John Podesta in Vegas one time, but Charles, <laughs> what is the current voter sentiment on legalizing recreational and med uh, medicinal marijuana? Medical, it's huge. It's 80, I think, 7% in this poll. Just gigantic. And 78% of Republicans favor legal marijuana. Now, we didn't ask about the details of the Republican proposal that they were talking about just in general. But when you go to just legalization straight up, not for medical purposes, it's 63% in favor. Republicans split dead evenly on that, but big majorities of independents and Democrats favor legalizing. That has been the, the case for several years now. Um, four years ago when we asked about medical, it was about the same level. So this is a case where the majority of public opinion is very clear but the legislature's unwillingness to act on, on legislation for years now um, just prevents anything from happening. Uh, Charles, while I'm thinking of it, today's issue is the biggest loser 
and the most unpopular politician in the state of Wisconsin, if I did the math properly, is on the ballot this fall. Hell, he might be on the ballot sooner if they clear up the recall they're threatening him with. Speaker Robin Voss, am I true in saying he is the most unpopular Wisconsin politician you polled this time? Uh, in this am- sample, yes. Uh, the thing with Voss is that, first of all, a lot of people don't know who he is statewide, <laughs> uh, which is just stunning, but there it is. Um, and the people who do know he is, mostly Democrats. Republicans are less aware of their Speaker of the Assembly than Democrats are. And what Democrats think is not nice to, to Speaker Voss. Uh, Republicans are net positive, I should say, but just not aware of who he is, not not able to venture an opinion. Notice the guy is elected by one ninety-ninth of the state, one legislative district out of 99. So it's not surprising that folks outside of his district don't know who he is, but it is from a public policy point of view and informed citizenry, really kind of disturbing. <laughs> yes. Indeed, Charles. Charles Franklin, our fine guest, Marquette University Law School poll. Charles, always appreciate when you come down and go inside the numbers. When's the next time we're talking, Charles? Uh, We're coming out with a national poll in two weeks, two weeks from today. And um, then the next state poll, if we still have a primary, we'll probably do one before the primary, but we'll see what developments come up in the Republican race to see if it's worth polling before the primary. Charles Franklin, thank you so much. More Devil's Advocates. Thanks, Charles. The Devil's Advocates may not agree on much, but funny is funny. Right, like said it gonna say yeah, thank you for listening to the Devil's Advocates radio show. Thank you, Charles Franklin, director of the Marquette University Law School, polling uh, the, the crudy, the the Robin Voss numbers really blow my mind. I mean, number one, how do most people polled not know who the leader of the assembly is? And number two, especially Republicans, no Robin Voss is to dislike Robin Voss. He has a 17% favorable rating, a 39% unfavorable rating, and 43% haven't heard of him. And apparently, most of those folks are Republicans. Doesn't that just speak to the power of the Devil's Advocates radio show? Because we don't like Robin Voss, not one damn little bit. (laughs) And we have been quite expressive in telling you, our fine audience, why you shouldn't like Robin Voss either. Some of a bully, this boss Voss. But I find it it sort of redeeming, Dom, that we better educated our side to the malfeasance of Speaker Robin Voss than the Right. right has in support of this what the the he's the guy that appointed Janelle Branchin, the head of the crazy election committee, and she would bring in right wing talk radio hosts as expert witnesses, but nobody else. And then she became a little too much when she charged the mound, meaning she brought a bunch of protesters down to Robin Voss's office. She got stripped of her assembly gavel, Dom. And he also hired the Gable men. That was to what live out this fantasy of the big lie. And did not show proper loyalty to the Cheeto Messiah, the cult leader, Trump. So Trump came to Waukesha County and stuck it in Rebecca Clayfish's ear and stuck it in Robin Voss's ear. And uh, 
you know, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy, Robin Voss. The fact that he didn't <laughs> lose the primary last time, we're gonna we're gonna make that a reality this time. Well, now they're trying to, you know, his the own side, the mega Republicans are trying to recall him. But I think Charles yes. also was uh, a little a little stunned by the the lack of knowledge of folks about Robin Voss. We were both like, really, forty three percent have don't know enough about him, haven't heard enough. Uh, and I think that goes to the the general awareness. And I, I know, granted, we do this every day. We live and breathe and eat this stuff. Uh, but come on, people. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know what? Know who your legislators are and know who the leadership is because those are the ones that are setting the table. 844-967-2789. Maybe uh, let's a, get to some of the- a redistricting would re-reset the table, but I will remind <laughs> our audience that Robin Voss will be on a primary ballot. I strongly suspect that Adam Steen will run against him. And and here's the good news. If there is no competitive primary on the Republican side, it'll be all the MAG of supportive going out there to vote for, for Trump, right? right? And in that district, in the Pleasant Prairie area, well, he almost lost the last time in the primary, 320 votes. Well, here's what I would say, Dom. Our fine audience members listening on WRJN 1400 AM or maybe on the big WAUK, the Beast of the East. Well, if they live in Robin Voss's district, there's no good reason not to go participate in the partisan primary because Joe Biden's got this, right? Joe Biden's got this. You can't cross over, can't vote for Biden and then vote for Robin Voss's Republican opponent. But... You could take Voss out this summer. August, he'd be <laughs> on the ballot. That's actually not the same time as the presidential primaries, I think, allowed. So this this little scheme, we'll have to execute that later in the summer. Eight, Pete four, Voss four, nine, in the seven, primary, seven, I say. This seven, time seven, eight, is the eight, last eight. time. We'll get a float chart for you, folks. Uh, let's get to the lines. Wisco, Paul, you're up. Welcome, Paulie. What do you got? Hey, Devils. Uh, good afternoon or evening now. It's getting dark. Hey, oh, it's know, bright and sunny here in Vegas. I'm two hours behind you, Paul. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. You're lucky guy. Hey, I can call you a lucky devil. Man, that's awesome. I forgot about that. Hey, um, yesterday proved that Trump has co- total control of GOP. Like, you just call up Senator Johnson and you go, hey, let's kill our own border bill. Okay, Donald, we'll, we'll kill our own bill, you know. Well, if you're talking about Ron Johnson, Ron always wanted that border deal dead. He was the biggest obstructionist. You're talking about Speaker Mega Mike Johnson, probably, over on the House. Yeah, both of them, actually. Yeah, I meant the Speaker. But they killed their own bill. It's just a crazy thing. Hey, as far I always trust the market polls pretty pretty good because they are hardly never wrong. I don't know what Charles does, but he pretty much gets it right. But one would think. Would Except Trump that whole Hillary Trump? thing, but please continue, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that one. I've been corrected twice today already. Um, you would think Biden would be up by 10. It's a troubling, even 5 to 10, because Trump has so much baggage. It's like, I can't believe this guy is even, but that's that's very troubling news to me. And um, I sure, I certainly don't want a Trump presidency. I don't know what people are looking at. Maybe it's because Biden, he does look old, but Trump looks just as old, if not older. I mean, it's... Uh, uh, Paulie, 83%. Is that the, is that the best? 
of the polled Wisconsinites expressed at least modest concern with Biden's age. This is not a crudy bringing it up because he wants to rub it in. Oh, no, oh, I mean, the, there's the an the age facts. issue and there is an enthusiasm gap. And that's very concerning to me because as much as I like to hammer on all the legal problems of Donald Trump and assume that at some point it's going to catch up to him, it's going to weigh him down, be it the civil suits, the financial foreclosures, the 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 criminal stuff. I figure at some point it's going to catch up to the man. But when you look at all the polling, the enthusiasm, even in the state of Wisconsin, the enthusiastic are voting for Trump. The, ah, I hope I make it to November. I hope I live that long, sort of, eh. Those voters are firmly in the Biden column. And it's our job, Dominic, to make them more excited. Ah, you know what? I'm not even worried about them being excited. Just go pull the trigger, pull the pull the pull the lever for Joe Biden, man. I tell what we, what, he could be the weekend at Bernie's candidate, and I'm still voting for him over the fascist orange guy. Don from Milwaukee, you're up. Welcome, Don. What do you got? Hey, Don. Uh, yeah. Good afternoon, Devils. Uh, yeah, you guys are making such a big a, a deal out of the age. Well, I just read a couple of days ago that there's a guy in uh, Iowa, this Grassley. He just filed yeah. nomination papers. He's 90 years old. He's going to be 100 years old by the time he gets done. So what's the big deal about this age crap? Nah, hey. Not for me, Don. I get you. I'll, I'll vote for Biden no matter the age, especially considering the alternative. But these are, this is what other folks, this is what the general, these are polling, man. This is what people think. Folks, we are the Devil's Advocates for the Love of Democracy Tour 2024. It rolls on tomorrow. I'm still in Vegas. I'm not leaving till Saturday, Dom. So I'll be doing live radio all week long. Thank you for tuning in. Tomorrow, we got a rig caucus. And then I'm going to a Trump event. And then I'll tell you about it on the radio. <laughs> That's what we do here. Stick around. Something's coming on next.